did you need to try or do or know before you felt sure that divorce was the right choice for you? Yeah, I was married for over two decades and it was very important to me to be sure about my decision because I have three children. But ultimately, as I got to know myself better and work on myself and take better care of myself, it became apparent that this relationship was not good for me anymore. Welcome to Habits for Your Happily Ever After, where we get clear about your marriage communication. Because when your relationships are strong, you're able to concentrate at work, reduce conflict at home, and receive support for your dreams so that you have the courage to live your best life. I'm Rebecca Mullen, a relationship coach living in Western Colorado, and today I'm excited to say I have another interview for you to listen to. I hope you enjoy. Hello, this is Rebecca Mullen, and I am a life coach who lives on the Western Slope of Colorado. Today, we are here with Kate. Our guest is using a nom de plume. Kate is not her real name, but Kate was married over 20 years and has three children. She decided that her happily ever after would be happiest by seeking a divorce. And so today we're talking with her about how she came to know herself better as she exited her marriage and what happiness she's found after her divorce. Welcome, Kate. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Rebecca. One of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you is because there's a group of people who come knocking on my coach door and they say, I think I want a divorce, but I'm not sure if I do. And what I often will say to those people is, what would it take to be sure? How would you know that you were sure one way or the other? I think a lot of us even in the happiest of marriages, we have moments where we don't want to stay married. And so part of it is is fettering out that decision. How do you know that it's time? And so what I know about you is your decision to divorce wasn't a light decision or frivolous. What did you need to try or do or know before you felt sure that divorce was the right choice for you? Thank you so much, Rebecca. What a great question. Yeah, I was married for over two decades, and it was very important to me to be sure about my decision because I have three children who are now teens and 20s, and I knew that my decision would greatly impact, especially my youngest, who's still living at home. So it took me the last eight years of my marriage to figure out Mm. that I wanted to divorce. I know that I had inklings that something wasn't right Mm -hmm. uh, about eight years at the end of my marriage Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't want to hurt my children and I wasn't sure if this was initially if this was something that was fixable so I wanted to make sure that I put effort into making it work making it the relationship that I wanted but ultimately As I got to know myself better and work on myself and take better care of myself, it became apparent that this relationship was not good for me anymore. 
And so it sounds like part of what happened for you is that in order to make the decision about divorce, you started investing in understanding yourself inside of that relationship. Is that a correct evaluation of how you were making the decision? Absolutely. I needed to really, truly know myself and what I needed. I think during my relationship, I think it evolved. So, you know, the beginning was was good and it was right for that time in my life. And we were great partners and we raised three children together. So very much partners. Uh, we lost the friendship and lover part of our relationship over the years. Mm-hmm. And I think the crux of the matter for me is that as as I learned more about myself and became more self-aware and invested more in myself and was kinder to myself, the feeling that really solidified this decision for me is that I, I started feeling unsafe in the relationship. If, if that's, I think that's what I'd pin it on. I started no longer feeling safe. When you say you didn't feel safe, was it a physical safety that you worried about, an emotional safety, all of the above? My former husband was not physically abusive. It was more an emotional safety. I remember one morning and he had this habit of jumping in the shower with me intermittently when I was having my shower in the morning. One morning he just went, came into the shower without asking without my permission and it just felt an invasion of my privacy and I felt unsafe and I knew at that moment that I needed to to speak up you know what where did this feeling come from and needed to explore that further why why didn't I feel safe any longer because he wasn't threatening me I don't think it was intentional to threaten me in any way but that feeling of not being safe was a a deep emotional feeling that I needed to explore further. I'm sorry that happened to you and that you didn't feel safe. How did you learn to trust that voice? There's so many women that would have in that moment poo-pooed that that little inkling and said, well, why? I mean, you felt safe doing this years ago. What has changed? The world is a little bit different and we... We are aware of things because of the Me Too movement and that historical reframe. We are giving ourselves some permission as women, I think, that we didn't before. I don't know if that plays into it for you or if it was all internal that you began to trust yourself and listen when you heard that whisper of, I don't feel safe. Yeah, and it's hard to know. You know what that I mean, that's the only way I can describe the feeling that I was having. And yeah, yeah, initially I questioned because he's been a great father to our children and he's never physically threatened me. But that feeling I've always had good spidey sense about people mm-hmm. and that served me well over the years. And I knew that I had to listen to where that was coming from and why why I felt that way. Because not listening to it would put me in a, in a place that I was denying, I guess, denying myself. Yeah. Yeah. 
Do you feel like you had denied yourself for some time in the marriage that you were sort of disappearing inside that marriage? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, the last at least two years of the marriage, I was no longer laughing, no longer crying. I was suppressing all of my emotions. I think I was, I've always been scared about conflict. Conflict has been difficult for me. And I think I was perhaps numbing myself so that I didn't have to address the very serious issues with our relationship. So as you begin to wake up emotionally, I'm, I'm imagining as you make this choice, okay, I think I'm going to leave this marriage. There's so many mixed emotions um, there. You're thinking about your kids, your family dynamic, your own personal happiness and how numb you've become. How do you surf your way through all of that and find your way to stop numbing emotion and begin to welcome emotion again? I think it was a long process to one, allow myself to feel feelings again. So part of it was putting energy into who I am and making sure that I was being very specific in taking care of me. And just that intentionality helped, helped me feel better about myself. You know, but I spent the greater part of a year or more just repeating to myself, I'm worthy, I matter, I'm enough. Because I had mm-hmm. lost my sense of self. And that was part of the numbing, you know, lots of of emotions, lots of sense of self, um, and ultimately discovered that I'm a giver, that being a giver is okay, and that's a great part of me, how much more I have to give to myself in order to give to those around me. So I think I had, I had you know, the dynamic of the relationship had changed where we became partners and lost that friendship and those lovers. Um, I felt like it was more a parent-child relationship rather than adult-adult relationship. And uh, I had given so much to my children and to my husband and to my work and to my friends, to everyone and everything that my only way of coping in my life was, was to numb myself to my life. Mm. So it was a long process to give back to myself, to refocus my energy on myself first, so that I could give intentionally to those that needed it. Let Go me ahead. ask, how did you find that mantra? I'm worthy. I'm enough. I matter. I believe it was probably from one of Brene Brown's books on courage and vulnerability. And I read a lot about self self care and meditations. And did you just kind of say to yourself, I'm just going to start saying this, even if I don't believe it. And then as you began saying it, or did you believe it intellectually, but you couldn't bring it into your body or what was it that made you say, these, these are the words I'm going to say, and what was the transformation that followed as you followed the path of that mantra? It wasn't something that happened overnight. It took a long time, and I think 
probably measured in years to repeat that when I woke up in the early hours of the morning because, yeah, I knew in my head that those words were probably correct, <clears throat> but my heart certainly didn't didn't believe them. Mm -hmm. mm. Mm. I'm glad you found them. I'm glad you said them to yourself. Mm. I want to ask what it felt like as you had decided to leave because you had to find a place to live. You're dividing up banking. You're separating 20 years worth of two people's lives. What did it feel like as you began to unravel all of that and to do things that were so practical by yourself for the first time in years? Oh my goodness, it, it almost felt like an impossible task at first because my husband did all of our finances, paid mm -hmm. all the bills and did electronic banking. So I, you know, honestly, I didn't know how to access my own accounts, which sounds crazy because <laughs> I'm a, I'm a healthcare leader and mm -hmm. I'm smart and I'm very self-sufficient and I've been self-sufficient for many years. Um, but it, it, the task seemed daunting. So uh, I started one one thing at a time. And, you know, I have my sense of morality and I guess loyalty meant that I didn't actually separate bank accounts until we, the divorce was finalized. So I didn't want him to be left in the lurch. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure I treated him fairly. So I started one thing at a time. I remember we went camping at a state park and I knew that day was the day I was going to tell him I was leaving. Took me about a month because I was looking hard and, and, and to find somewhere to live. So mm -hmm. uh, it took me about a month to, you know, we were separated within the home and then, and then I found somewhere to live and, you know, most of the other separation, the financial and health, you know, health insurance and those kinds of things didn't happen until the actual divorce six months later. I can tell that it was overwhelming. And it sounds like you found your way through it by just coming up with one small task at a time to do. Did you notice, Kate, any freedom that you began to feel as you found a place to live or set up your own bedroom for the first time? So one of the things, you know, I wanted to live simply. So I specifically chose a smaller place. My former husband was a bit of a hoarder and mm -hmm. I didn't want to bring too much stuff out of the house into my new place. So I brought the minimum from, mm -hmm. from the family home mm -hmm. and yeah, it felt empowering to choose the place where I wanted, I knew that I wanted to live near a park where I could ride my bicycle. Yeah, it was very empowering, you know, getting access to my own bank account. Not that I didn't have, I mean, he wasn't taking any money from me, but having access to all my accounts and, and getting control over that, even though it was a chore in one sense, it was empowering in another sense to, to take control over my life.
Okay, so we all want to know, what's it like to start dating after many years of marriage? <laughs> wow, so it's very different than dating in my 20s. As, as we all know, dating apps are the way to date these days. And there's, right? you know, as I do with everything else in my life, I immerse myself in information. So I made sure that I, I was fully prepared watching watching YouTube videos about dating apps. So I knew, I knew what, what pitfalls uh-huh. there are with safety. Okay. But you can just watch YouTube videos on how do I work it? <laughs> on dating app. That's great. I didn't know that. And did you find love again? I did. So, um, yeah, I went on, I went on several dates and the most important things for me, because I, I was not looking for a fling, um, was to uh-huh. make sure one that I chose somebody who had the same values as me and the same interests as me, a lifestyle that, that would mesh together. That was the most important thing. How do you sort for values? How does that happen? <laughs> so, so, I mean, I think, yeah, dating profiles, I think, can tell you a lot about people. And this, um, so Harry, on his dating profile, put that he, that he was very loyal. And I think loyalty is a value. And, you know, love of, you know, he projected on his dating profile, described his love of nature, being active and art and poetry. Those are all things that were important to me. Mm. Mm. Nice. And as you're falling in love this time around, are there patterns that you want to make sure you don't have follow you into the new relationship? And if so, how do you keep on the lookout? For those patterns. So the good thing, Rebecca, is that for years I've been working on staying in my own business. <laughs> so that's a really important one. Um, no doubt. And also having good boundaries and realizing that in a relationship, you can't go in it thinking you're going to change the other person. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you accept them for who they are. And have good boundaries and speak up when their behavior, so when his behavior is affecting me in a negative way, speaking up in in a way that lets him know. So the most important speaking up, as you've talked about in your podcast, is saying thank you and recognizing when things are going well. So I I'm very... I'm pretty intentional. It comes pretty naturally now, but I'm pretty intentional about recognizing when things that he does are things that I I like. So how he treats me. So it sounds like one of the patterns you're really trying to emphasize is to look for the things that are working well and say thank you and just maybe not give as much attention to things that are not going as well. Yes, yes. So things, you know, things that are just a little bit not right, um, ignore, but things that are hurtful, ouch. (laughs) Saying ouch is a is a good is a great way, I think, to communicate that what you just said or did 
wasn't wasn't good. Well, because saying ouch is such immediate feedback. It is, and it's not pointing, it's not, it's not nagging, and it's not saying, it's not judgmental in a way. It's just saying, this is how I feel right yeah. now. Yeah, and it's short. It's just right to the point. Ow, my feelings got hurt. Ow. I have a couple questions I'm going to just kind of drive through here a little bit quicker. Okay. What's the most important thing when it comes to keeping a long-term relationship healthy, according to you? Communication, communication, communication. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. You talked about that lover role, which obviously, thank you for listening to the podcast. Lover, partner, friend is my schema for how to look at relationships, those three roles. What makes you, Kate, feel attractive as a lover? And what is attractive to you? As a lover? Wow. So I I remember uh, describing myself to Harry as someone that's attracted to intellect. Intellectual attraction. That's what's sexy to you. Yes. Connecting intellectually and when he sends me poetry, that that is very connecting to me. Or when he shares podcasts or appreciates natural beauty. So all of those things I find very attractive. What makes a good partner? How do you cultivate teamwork in a relationship? That's a good question. Because I think right now the relationship is leaning more towards friends and lovers and the partner side is just starting to develop. You did mention that you and your husband were good partners. Was there anything that you felt like epitomized the partnership element that you felt like you were on solid ground there? So the partner side of myself and and my former husband was things like he would go do the grocery shopping, take the kids to the dental appointments, doctor appointments. So I could depend on him to help with those practical things. Totally, totally get it. Okay, what makes a good friend? I think, you know, when we have conflicts, it's about pausing and being kind to each other. That's kind of how we're friends as well, understanding that there are certain times that are good to have those conversations and other times when the emotions are not in the right place to have a truthful, authentic conversation about something important that needs to be discussed. And I think that's that's a bit about being good friends. So part of being able to understand each other for you and Harry is... We will talk, we will listen to each other, we'll reveal what's on our hearts and minds, and we sometimes need to take a pause before we can do that in a kind way. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. We always know that we will come back to whatever needs to be discussed, but it, it may not be right here and now. Was that ever a challenge? Are either one of you more of a, let's talk about this now, or are you both good <laughs> So I, yeah, I have been. I mean, I remember with my former husband, I, I didn't 
realize that I needed to pause. So I would try and talk Mm -hmm. when I was feeling emotional. And Mm -hmm. I think you can say things when you're emotional that are unnecessarily hurtful to yourself or to your partner. And I tend to be more hurtful to myself than anyone else. So if I'm feeling emotional, I'm I'm throwing myself under the bus and that's not a good thing. What a great thing to realize though. That's part of that recognizing yourself inside a relationship and what your pattern is inside a relationship so that you can go, wait a second, I got to pause so I can take care of myself and not throw myself under the bus. Yes, because relationships need to be 50-50 and allowing my partner to give 50%. And I know I'm going to give 50% because I'm a giver, right? So um, not allowing myself to give more than 50% and giving space to my partner to do their 50%. Oh, my gosh. How did you learn to give space? <laughs> that is, oh my gosh, that's just one of the hardest things. It is when you're a giver, and I think I've been socialized as a woman to be a giver, and I'm socialized in healthcare to give, 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 realizing that pausing and uh, allows other people to give to me and allows me to receive the kindness. And, you know, when I overgive and don't give my partner, a chance or space to give, then they stop giving to me and it it doesn't do them any favors. And it certainly doesn't do me any favors to change that dynamic into like a parent child kind of relationship. That's not the kind of relationship I want. So back to your further, your question before about what pattern did I not want to get into? I do not want to get into a pattern where I'm give, give, giving and never allowing my partner to give to me. It is essential, especially when you are a giver disposition, sometimes when there is that pause that you take so that you both can kind of come back to center before you work out a conflict. When you're a giver, it's very tempting to fill that empty space. How did you get yourself to begin to take that pause and let there be some spaciousness so that there was room for your sweetheart to do the giving? I'm still learning. I would say I'm still learning because when I give, 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 then I start feeling resentful and how he's not giving to me. He doesn't care about me. And I go into a dark place and I realize that that's not, he's not choosing not to give to me. I'm just not (laughs) allowing him to give to me. So I need to give him that space so that he can give to me and it feels so great when he does and I haven't manipulated him to give to me or asked him to give to me he's done it of his own free will and he becomes more invested in the relationship when he gives to me that happens when you let there be space there is a gap and I imagine that that gap felt scary for you as you were learning to do that very scary yeah Yeah. because you know part of me always worries like I don't want to play mind games with him I'm not into playing games like I want to be authentic I have to talk myself through it like this is not a game (laughs) I'm not I'm not trying to manipulate him I'm just allowing 
him to yeah. express himself and he takes time to process. I'm more impatient one now, now, now. I realize, yeah. you know, he, in order for him to express who he is and to even evaluate how he is in the relationship, he needs space and time to do that. So it's a gift that I can give to him. That pause is a gift I can give to him. That's how I reframe it. All right. I want to ask you, podcast is called Habits for Your Happily Ever After. Do you have a habit you could suggest to our listeners? I think the most important thing that I've learned is to do multiple things every day to, to take care of myself and the power of the pause, pausing before I give, pausing before I respond to questions. And this works for my relationship as well as my work environment. Yeah. So pausing and allowing myself to listen to what I really want or don't want so that yeah. I can respond kindly instead of just saying, yes, sure, of course, I can do all this for you and blah, you know, agreeing yeah. with everything that anyone around me wants, pausing, yeah. so filling my cup by self-care and I exercise and I do art and music and all the things, go out into nature, all the things that fill my cup and then making sure that I pause before at least, you know, important actions, responses, decisions. And that for me means most of my actions, responses and decisions. So that I'm I'm making those actions or decisions with intention and that helps to keep my cup full and I can give I can be more loving when I, I learn to do that. Mm. So it sounds like that your habit that you're suggesting is to pause and inside of that pause is filling your cup with all kinds of self-care so that when you do pause, you're able to connect deeply with what exactly is it in this moment that is most me that connects me to myself inside this relationship. Yes. Because you can only it. truly love when you truly love yourself. I love it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being a guest on Habits for Your Happily Ever After. You're welcome. My pleasure. <laughs> That's it for today. I'm Rebecca Mullen, and this has been Habits for Your Happily Ever After, where we get clear about your marriage communication. Because when your relationships are strong, you're better able to concentrate at work, reduce conflict at home, and receive support for your dreams so you can have the courage to live your best life. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd be grateful if you'd send a link to your friend. Habits for Your Happily Ever After is produced by Grace Smith. All our music and sound comes from Walk West Productions. I'm Rebecca Mullen. Thanks for including me in your relationship today.